Chapter 12 The Time to Tell I took the train home to Oxford before Dad got home from the office. I didn't want to see him because I knew I would lose my temper with him. I'd asked Mum to keep quiet until I'd had a chance to find out more and she reluctantly agreed because I had a feeling that my conversation today was the first time she'd ever heard about my dad's true identity. I knew my mum very well. She was a terrible liar, and it was obvious to me there was no way she could have kept a secret as huge as that quiet. I'd banked my life on it. It only took me two days to find out O'Callaghan's true identity, thanks in part to my criminology professor at Oxford, who had recently delivered a lecture on that very subject a week or so earlier. Webster defines criminology as the scientific study of crime, as a social phenomenon of criminals and of penal treatment. I wasn't sure how exactly I intended to use my degree yet, but I was certainly grateful for the help it had given me in this instance. I discovered, in a most circuitous fashion, that Inspector Richard O'Callaghan was in fact Brian Kavanaugh, a man well known to law enforcement and a political agitator with deep ties to the British Fascist Union for at least the past ten years. My contact even furnished me with an address for Mr. Kavanaugh, which I made a note of to possibly visit in the near future. But for now, I needed to stay focused. Simon had to be told. I was dreading that conversation, but it had to be done. My brother is a gentle soul, highly intelligent, but extremely sensitive. When I first found out who my dad was, I hadn't wanted to tell Simon, as I knew he'd freak out. He didn't handle stress well, so I just decided I would tell him only when it was absolutely necessary. But now, before the newspapers got hold of the story, was the time to tell, and so I headed over to his room to pick him up for our luncheon. I arrived and asked him if he'd like to have lunch at the Bluebell Cafe in town. That's like asking a drowning man if he'd like a life belt. Simon agreed instantly, and the two of us wandered through town happily, heading for our favourite eatery. By the time we'd caught up on what was happening in our lives, and were both enjoying a dessert of sherried trifle, I decided to come to the point of our meeting for lunch. Dad had always been hard on Simon, and the fact was, I'd seen him be cruel to poor Nomis, but he was our dad, and I was nervous how my twin brother would react to the news. As we sat there in the crowded restaurant, I told him what I'd found out, and then went on to explain how initially I'd been told that Mum was implicated as well, but later had found out that it was someone else because I'd been lied to by someone impersonating a senior-ranking police officer. Simon listened to me throughout, only occasionally interrupting if he didn't understand, and as I wrapped up my long explanation, he asked simply, Well, what'll happen to Dad if he's charged? I don't know, no, miss. He could be extradited to Joni to face trial for his war crimes, but the justice system here would probably like a crack at him for murder, impersonation, entering Britain illegally, and a host of other charges that I don't know yet about. But Simon, it is deadly serious. There's no question. 
The dad is in fact the assassin of Drancy, Otto von Braden. I looked over at my brother sitting opposite me, and he had such a sad look on his face and looked as if he was going to cry. What he said surprised me to the core. Matt, I wish you had told me sooner. I could have helped you sort this thing out. But thanks for telling me anyway. I'm so glad Mum wasn't involved. But if you don't mind me asking, who was the person who smuggled that imposter into our country? I'd rather not say at the moment, no, miss. Let me just say that it definitely wasn't Mum. She had no part in it. I'll tell you as soon as I think it's safe, okay? I replied to him, and suddenly all the anxiety that I'd had in the past two hours disappeared. Is there anything you'd like me to do? he asked, and I shook my head and thanked him but declined and then walked over to the cash register. I walked with him back to college, and as we were getting ready to say our goodbyes, he suddenly said, I never liked him, you know. I know he's my dad, but he was not very nice to me, and I never liked the way he treated mum either. I know that I shouldn't say that, but frankly, good riddance, and he hugged me and walked into his college, the ancient house that had been home to thousands of young, eager students before us. I waved goodbye and walked back towards Balliol. I agreed with what he had said to me and frankly just wanted my dad to be arrested so that the three of us could get on with our lives again. But the problem with that scenario was that there were so many people involved and I had no control over whether they would get in trouble with the law. I was, of course, thinking about Ruth, who had, back in the day, made a bad decision and become involved with an organization that put her in legal jeopardy. I was thinking about that and how important she had been to me throughout my life when I realized who it was that I had to go and visit immediately. jumped on my bike and rode to the station where I took a train to Paddington in London. Then I jumped on the number 17 bus which wound its way through London down Oxford Street to Marble Arch on the northeast side of Hyde Park and then it turned south and went down Park Lane to Hyde Park Corner where we skirted the edge of Green Park and turned left onto the Brompton Road and drove directly past Harrods. By now it was late afternoon on a cold wintry day and the shop looked so pretty with, it, with its thousands of coloured lights illuminating the entire building. The bus trundled past the store and on past the midnight shop in Knightsbridge and then the 
Brompton Oratory where my own dad had got married, and to South Kensington where I jumped off and walked the last few hundred yards, finally arriving at number 37 Eaton Terrace where I bounded up the steps and knocked on the front door. I heard a noise inside, and moments later the door was opened by my 85-year-old surrogate grandfather. The minute he saw me, his face lit up, and he said, Come in, my boy. Lovely to see you. And he waved his hand to motion me in. I did so, and he asked me to go through to the drawing room where my grandmother was reading. I walked over to her and gave her a big hug and told her I'd missed her. She responded sweetly by hugging me a little tighter. It was nice to see these kind people again. After we'd gone through all the normal niceties, we settled into a comfortable back and forth, and after about 15 minutes, I decided to get down to business. I wanted to bring you up to date on what's been happening since I last saw you, I said. First, and I don't want to scare you, but the inspector is not, it appears, to be a member of special branch, or even, in fact, a policeman. He's actually an imposter, a fraud, and a con man named Brian Cavanaugh. It took me a couple of days to find out his true identity, but I did, and I also managed to find his address. He's employed by the British Fascist Union, the organization that managed to smuggle Otto von Braden into the country at the end of the war. Contrary to what O'Callaghan told us, my mum had nothing to do with smuggling him into the country. The only thing she's guilty of is agreeing to marry a murderer and a cad. What's more, I discovered that, contrary to what O'Callaghan told us, no one in fact conducted any blood tests and so there was no evidence whatsoever regarding our bloodline. To that point, Mum told me yesterday how she and Robert came to live in London. You mentioned last time I saw you that Robert had joined the Foreign Office doing something rather hush-hush, I seem to remember you said. Well, he and Mum decided to get a flat together after they moved to London, and they rented a flat in Putney because they were worried that you might not approve of them living together. Robert's final mission was to Berlin, and Mum learned she was pregnant soon after he left for the mission. She told me just yesterday that she was looking forward to telling Robert that he was going to be a dad when he returned from Berlin, but sadly he died during that tour of duty. Suddenly, my grandmother jumped up from the chair she was in and exclaimed, Oh, Matthew, how wonderful. I knew you were our grandson. You're the spitting image of Robert when he was a boy. What I still don't understand is how your sweet mother met that terrible German monster. I walked over and hugged my grandmother and told her I loved her, and she clung on to me as if there was no tomorrow. Then I walked over to my grandfather's chair and told him I loved him as well, to which he reacted the way most men do and looked slightly embarrassed and said, I love you too, Matthew, and I know that Robert would have been very proud of you to have been your father. With that, the old man clasped my hand and shook it hard to cover his emotional outburst. I spent the next two hours filling in my grandparents on the 
steel mum had struck with the British fascist union, underscoring that she had no idea who Otto von Braden was. In fact, she never even knew his real name until I had told her. I also filled them in on the Brian Kavanaugh, a.k.a. O'Callaghan, and mentioned that it was my intention to speak to the police and seek legal advice to see exactly what British laws had been violated. I know who helped Inspector O'Callaghan, and I'll be happy to divulge that information in due course. The real insult to all of us was that O'Callaghan told us, standing in this very room, that my parents had been arrested. But that was untrue. I, in fact, saw Mum just yesterday at their house in Isha, while Dad was at work as usual. So we've been lied to, possibly because they're scared that we've found them out. Whatever the reason, having spoken to both my mum and my twin brother, we've decided that my father and all those in this travesty need to be held accountable. I paused for a moment and looked squarely into the old man's eyes and spoke. I need your help. Without missing a beat, he replied with a steely tone to his voice, Of course, my boy, it'll be my great pleasure to bring these traitors to justice. 